listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. I got more chords than I've ever had in my entire life. Why? Because I, I just feel like I'm caught. I'm in this tension between what has been and what is, what is and what is, and what is and what will be. I, I, I can give you more examples of this. I'm not, like if you were to go in, into my office and we were to open up a few of those drawers, you're going to find VHS tapes. Some of you know what that is, some of you don't. You'd, you'd even find high eight tapes, some eight millimeter tapes. If you were to go to my house, I could even pull out some cameras that are high eight, some that are eight, some that are VH, VHS uh, converters from VHS to digital because these things have some of the most important memories of my life. Uh, my wedding, the birth of my children, the baptisms of my children. Like we have these things. Uh, the, my parents, their highlight video when they had like their 25th wedding anniversary. I, I have historical videos and pictures from Northside through the years in all of these ways. And yet I have all of this stuff because I feel like I'm just kind of caught. I, I'm, I'm in the tension between what has been and, and what is. And, uh, yeah, there's other examples. I, I got a, a cassette converter right now in my office. It's a cassette converter. You can go from cassette to digital. Still got it. I was at a wedding not so long ago. I'm I'm at the reception and at our table was Polaroid cameras so we could take pictures and you'd have like real time. I thought we all had that like already. Like I thought we had cameras and yet they're not dead. They, They still exist. And so there was Polaroid cameras to take pictures and we, we, we seem to live in this awkward phase of the old and the new, just functioning and living and dwelling together. Like when I used to have questions, I would just ask my wife. She usually knew a lot. But now there's AI, and I can just ask Siri. And so it's this, but I still ask my wife questions. So it's like this blend between the old and the new. And since I'm happily married, I'll let you decide. I'm not telling you which one's old and which one's new, but you can determine that. But it's like we got these two things functioning together at once. The reality is we often see old and new progressing through time together, not just in the tech world, but in the real world where God is interacting with us. Like this is the story of our lives, living in the tension between the two. It's exactly where we live right now. Like in Jesus' day, there were many Jews who really believed that when the Messiah would come, that the Messiah would just usher in this whole new world. Like the old world, the way it is now, it would just cease to exist. It would just stop. And there would be this new world. So that old world characterized by sin and brokenness and rebellion and injustice and oppression and and hatred and anger and lust, it would just be gone. And this new world would come, one that was overflowing with beauty and and, uh, overflowing with holiness and righteousness and and justice, like it would just be, it would look like this. This is the graphic that they would have pictured. This, this old world, which is sin reigns, life is broken. Messiah would come. And when the Messiah came, instantly we would have this new world. Like that's the way it would be. Messiah, someone like Jesus, would just completely accomplish a new world in one decisive blow. Boom, it's done. But that's not what happened. When the Messiah came, he only fulfilled half of that expectation. It wasn't that way. He inaugurated a new world. He brought a new kingdom. He he gave us new life. 
but he didn't completely do away with the old. Therefore, when we look at what Jesus did, it looks more like this picture here, where it was old world, Messiah comes, and now new world and old world continue together. Our spirits have been redeemed, but our bodies have not been redeemed. This world has not been redeemed. We still live in this broken, sinful world full of rebellion, and yet we have this new kingdom, this new way of living that we live in. This, they, they run parallel with each other. And one day, Jesus will come back. And when he comes back, his return will bring the full and ultimate final justice and restoration of a broken world so that our adjusted timeline actually looks like this in the future. There's this, notice the old world where sin reigns and life is broken, but then Christ comes the first time. And when he comes the first time, he brings the kingdom of God. He inaugurates the kingdom of God in this world where the two are going together parallel during this time frame. But when Christ returns a second time, Here's the beauty of this. This old world will cease to exist as we know it. The elements will be destroyed by fire, like a roar of fire. Everything's going to be destroyed. And this earth and everything in it will be laid bare. It will be wiped clean. All of the curse that is in our world from the time that paradise was lost is going to be cleansed once and for all. And when that happens, he will usher in a new heaven and a new earth. And paradise lost will be paradise restored. Aren't you looking forward to when he does this? I am so looking forward to it. No more hatred and anger and pain and oppression and war and lust and destruction. It's going to be all new. And we live right now in the overlap between the two. Between those two comings, the new world and the old world are in timeline with each other. We live in the time between times, between the first and second comings of Jesus. The question is why? The, the answer to that question is because there are more people to be saved that God wants to bring into his kingdom. That's why we're still where we are. But Michael DeFazio in his book, More Jesus, he says, Jesus, or, or the, he's, in Scripture, we see these images playing out where we're called to live in God's promised future world in the present world in which we walk. That, that we are to pray that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That we are to live every day in the tension between the two, in the new that he's called us to, the new that he has given to us, even as we live in a broken and fallen world. He says, it's like a movie preview where we're giving the world a glimpse of the kingdom that is to come. It's a glimpse of what it looks like when Christ is reigning in your life. We, we follow Jesus as we should. And when we do, here's what's going to happen. We're going to feel pulled between good and evil because both principles are at work in the world and in our hearts at the same time. Both good and evil are at work in this world and in our hearts at the exact same time. As so we got new and old traveling together. In 2 Corinthians 5.17... Paul says there, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new's here. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. If you're in Jesus Christ, you are in the new. You've been made a new creation. And your mission is to go into a world that is in a dark, broken world. And you're to bring the hope and message of reconciliation to the world that they too can be made new in Jesus. That's because we live at the same time with the new and the old. The Bible has a lot of metaphors that describe this tension in which we live. And in the book of Colossians, which we're going to go to today, chapter 3, we're using this book in this series that's called More Jesus. In Colossians, he uses a different metaphor. 
to describe this very same thing. It's a metaphor that has more to do with time and space, below and above, but it's the same idea. And we're going to read it together in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, where Paul writes this, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, and set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The metaphors change from a timeline that looks like it's running parallel with each other to these circles, one that is below and one that is above. Before Christ, this world was ruled by darkness and sin. But when Christ came, he broke into this world with light. Now, when we're in darkness, we get glimpses. We get glimpses of the light for sure. But when Jesus came, he brought light into a dark world. And John would say in his gospel that the world did not understand it. They didn't understand him. Darkness rarely understands light. And even then, there was this expectation that when the Messiah would come, there'd be a snap of the fingers and this dark world would be replaced by the kingdom of light. And it would be this beautiful place. No more sin. It was like going to be instantaneous, but that's not what happened. When Christ came, Light broke into the darkness, and it is here. But there is still rebellion against God in this dark world. But the light is here. The light has come. And because that looks more like this, where, where the light and the darkness are now intermingled, and we live in this place where the two meet, where heaven has collided with earth, where light has come into darkness, and that's where we live, in the tension between the two. God completely reigns over heaven, Above in a realm where his will is perfectly followed, but part of this universe is so interrupted with rebellion and curse that it's only those who call Jesus Lord that live in the tension between the light and the darkness. God has transformed our minds and our hearts so that we pursue good, but we are still susceptible to the seductions of evil and temptation. And that tension that we feel as individuals between good and evil, it's just part of this bigger cosmic battle that's raging between darkness and light, between below and above, between old and new. There's even more metaphors that the Bible we use to describe this. Like, for example, in Romans, he talks about the difference between the flesh and the spirit. They're at war. Galatians builds on that and talks about how it's like a tree bearing fruit, fruitful or not fruitful, productive or unproductive. Philippians will use another even metaphor about how we are citizens of heaven. We belong to a colony of heaven, which in Philippi made sense because it was a Roman colony. There had been a battle near there where the Romans had fought that battle and won that battle. And so Philippi became a place many retired soldiers and and commanders would go to live and dwell. Their objective was to, to bring Rome to Philippi. It was a Roman colony. And as Paul writes to that church in Philippi, he's telling them, no, you're citizens of heaven and you need the will of God to be seen on this earth where you live. You're citizens of heaven, not citizens of Rome or citizens of this earth. We belong to heaven. We are citizens of that. Let's allow heaven on earth right now in the way that we live, think, act, and do. Let's show them what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Old new. Death life, below above, darkness light, unfruitful, fruitful, citizens of the world versus citizens of heaven, flesh 
versus spirit in a spiritual battle that is raging for your heart and for your mind, which is why Paul would say in Colossians, set your mind on things above. Set your hearts on things above. What we love and everything that we're about, what we think about, it needs to be about the kingdom of heaven. This is why following Jesus is not easy. This is why when you chose to follow Jesus, it doesn't mean life gets easier. It means we now enter into a spiritual battle between that which is good and evil, between spirit and flesh. We're living in the tension of it. We are to live an above type life in a below kind of world. We live in, in this tension between what has been and what is, what is and what is and what is and what will be. And so because of that, we are to live in an above type of life in a below kind of world. This is the call for each and every one of us. This is what Paul is calling us to. In a world that's heavily influenced by the flesh, we're to live by the Spirit. The way my father-in-law, Marion Conover, has been describing this lately in our conversations as as he has a body that is succumbing to stage four cancer, he says, God is good, but life is hard. That's how he describes the same tension. God is good, but life is hard. Marion said to me, he said, there's this all-encompassing good that is of God, even while being stuck in a broken body in a broken world. He was talking about this the other day and he was quoting from 1 John 3 that says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God for that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we're children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. And Mary, he was just talking about the fact, he said, you know, to think we are children of God. We belong to him. And what we will be has not yet been made known because we, we haven't seen Jesus face to face when we become completely who he's making us to be. But he says, but we have hope that that is the reality because he says it's hope in him that purifies ourselves. And he was saying, just think about purity for a moment. It's unadulterated. There's no mixed motives. Purity is heavenly and redemptive. It's forgiveness. It's all of those things. And it comes through our hope in him that he's made us pure. And yet what we will be is not finished yet. It's going to come when this old world ceases to exist and the new world comes in its entirety. We will experience another level of purity where our bodies are completely redeemed, where we are pure in every way. And the reason we must have this hope is because we currently live in the tension between what is and what will be. And in Colossians chapter 3, this text says here that your life is hidden with God, that the reason you can have hope is because Christ is in you and you are hidden in Christ. Like you don't in this world experience the new way of living in your own strength and power. This is coming from Jesus Christ who's in you. Like he's gonna do the work. You just need to let him. 
Oftentimes you need to get out of the way, give him the time and space to operate in your life, to do what he wants to do, to make you into the person he wants you to become. He's living in you. He does the heavy lifting. He's the victorious king and who, who has triumphed that we participate with him. So we need to remember that. When we're between the first and second comings of Jesus, we just got to trust him and lean into him. You know, we're just a few weeks away from Advent. Advent is when we reflect on Jesus' first coming, his birth, and we reflect at the same time on his second coming. He's coming again. We reflect on his coming to earth. We reflect on his coming again, his first and second comings. I mean, that's what Advent is. It's acknowledging that we live in the middle between those two events. And as we live in the middle, it's hard, it's difficult, it's exhausting, it's tiring, but we do it in the strength that Jesus gives us. He came to reside in us, to live in us. You know, in Corinthians, when when Paul says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, I know oftentimes many of us think of that in terms of like um, our own personal body, like he resides in me, Wayne Bushnell. And while that's true, this body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, Christ resides here which is very different than through the Old Testament when his presence was at the tabernacle or his presence was in the temple. But now, after Jesus' death on the cross and he tore the veil at the temple from top to bottom, showing that we had access to the holy place through the blood of Jesus, like, yes, my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But actually, the context of Corinthians, when Paul writes that, he's not talking about your personal body. He's talking about the body of Christ, the church. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's talking to the church. Christ is here. He resides here. His presence is in us and among us and with us to empower us and strengthen us so that we can be the bride of Christ. We can show what it looks like when heaven is on earth. We can live according to his will right here, right now and show the world what it looks like, a glimpse of heaven on earth when when we, his church, have his presence with us. It makes all the difference. When Jesus came and made his presence dwell within us, it is heaven and earth on a collision course. They collided with one another. Kind of like what I did with a deer last night. That was very unfortunate. And we collided hard. That's, there's there's going to be a lot of work that's going to need to be done. Let's just put it that way. There was a massive collision between light, I had my brights on, and darkness. And that deer based on what he did to my truck, is probably going to hell, I'm pretty sure. So uh, that's unfortunate. Uh, But I didn't really pull over to check either, so we'll see. But it may be more time for him to repent. But there is, in this text, a collision course between heaven and between earth. And when you look at the collision course between the two, this is where we see light and darkness And they are opposed to one another. And so I remember hearing the story about Tracy and Tracy's neighbor that lived near her who typically was either high or coming off a high and it became apparent when that was going on and Tracy would help with the kids. The kids would play with her kids and they'd come over and one day Tracy came out to get her mail and she saw, got her mail. She saw her neighbors kind of slumped over on the porch, either high or coming off a high, just didn't look good. And she, she just, she made her way over to her. And when Tracy got over there, she just asked her, you know, how she was, if she was doing okay, if she was all right. And her neighbor was just shaking her head, no. 
And Tracy just sat down next to her and just put her arm around her. And they just kind of sat there for a moment. And she just asked her, is there anything I can do for you? And for her neighbor, the tears just welled up involuntarily. She had tried to numb herself to humanity, but the cracks were showing and the tears were coming through. Her self-preservation facade was starting to fall. So the tears streamed down her face and they just sat there together, Tracy's arm around her. And finally, this neighbor said to Tracy, she, she said to her, what makes you so different? And Tracy said, she, she didn't hesitate. She just answered, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. And without warning, her neighbor just exploded. She just went into a cursing tirade. Don't bring your God blank here. Don't, don't bring your religious blank around me. Don't. And she just said, get the blank out of here. And she just started cursing and yelling at Tracy. And Tracy started gathering her kids. I mean, her children were around and started gathering them and kind of going up to the house. And she was just yelling at her. And she said she went into the house with her kids just in shock, confusion. Like, what just happened? And she sat on her couch and started crying. She was getting emotional for her neighbor. Just like, what even happened? What did I do wrong? What, what was it? And what happened is for, for Tracy, someone who's been walking in the light, she came up to someone who's been in a cave. And if you've ever been in a cave of darkness when you can't even see the hand in front of your face, if someone were to turn on a thousand lumens of light in that moment, it would just be blinding. You might shriek because of it. And that's what was happening. There was a collision course in that moment of heaven and earth, of light and darkness, above and below. And Tracy didn't do anything wrong. She did the right thing. And she spoke the name of Jesus light into that darkness. And our prayer is that seeds would be planted in one day that that neighbor would just say, I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. That's our prayer. But in that moment, it was light and darkness in contrast with one another. It was the collision of above and below. This is the world that we live in, a world that even though the light has come, refuses to see the light and to believe the light or to trust the light. So since I live in this transition, here's what Paul says you're to do. Set your mind on things above. Set your heart on things above. And then he goes on to tell us right here, you need to put off the old and put on the new. And that's something you got to keep on doing. Put off the old, put on the new. And I want us just to look at this Example together because there are sins that cling to you like a body bag that want to kill you, destroy you. You just got to throw them off and put them to death. And so Colossians 3, 5 through 10 tells us, here's, here's the text. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. He's going to list five. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in the ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also read yourselves of all things such as these. He gives another list of five. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and you've put on the new self which is being renewed in the image of the Creator. He lists ten sins here. Five groups, two sets of five. The first five focus on desire 
with an emphasis on sexual deviance. He mentions sexual morality, which is a general term that means any kind of sexual intimacy outside of a husband-wife relationship in marriage. That's how the Bible defines it. He mentions impurity, which is a general term for acting without wholesome intentions. He mentions lust and evil desires, which just means it speaks of an attitude that says, I'm going to do what my desires want to do. That's what's going to guide my life. And then he mentions greed, which actually says is idolatry because we're putting that as the God in our life. And he says we need to throw it all off. All of these desires with sexual deviance, throw it off. And then he lists another five. And these five focus on sins of anger with an emphasis on our speech. Anger with speech. Anger, rage, hatred. It refers to differing degrees to which we wish ill will on people. Which doesn't sometimes come out with physical violence like this. It can. But sometimes it's just even what we say and our slander and our gossip and our words against them. And then he goes on to say this about our words and filthy language. The filthy language that comes from our lips. He condemns it. That language is darkness. It's old life. It is fleshly. It's earthly. It's not of God. And look, I understand we live in a culture that's just laced with profanity. I mean, we're in a culture now where the F word is just as prominent as probably the D word back when I was growing up. And we're just in a, a culture where it is all the time. And I'm talking to believers right now, many believers that are in this room or perhaps you're watching online. And Paul would say, remove the filthy language from your lips. Kill it. Put it to death. Destroy it. Like, wow, I mean, like which sins are worse? Like, I mean, the first five, like sexual deviance, I mean, I can understand that, but like, like filthy language, I mean, you know, like which one's really worse? I like the, the way one guy said it. He said, and Michael Fowler quotes him as saying, uh, the sins, the sin that's worst is whatever sin you're about to commit. That's the worst one. Whichever one you're about to commit, that's the worst sin. So kill it. Put it off. Put it to death. Throw it off. This is critical for us to live an above kind of life. It's critical if we want to walk in the kingdom of God. And you have to understand why this is so important that we we put off the sin before we talk about putting on the new image of the creator. We put it off because here's what sin does. It, it, It goes downward. It's a downward spiral. And Michael DeFazio mentions five things, five things that sin does in a downward spiral. Here's, I'm going to give it to him really fast. Here's the first one, rebellion. The first step of sin is rebellion. We don't trust God. We question his love for us. We question his goodness and that he has our best interests at heart. And so we rebel against him. That's what Adam, Adam and Eve did. Look at Genesis 3, look at Romans 1, look at the sins. and They do this in this progression. Rebellion. We rebel against God. Number two, idolatry. Idolatry happens when we assign sacredness to something else, some other. It can be a group, like a team, family, country. It can be a symbolic object, like the sun, a flag, a clothing brand, dollar bills. It can be an idea, like liberty, happiness, socialism, capitalism, religion, where we treat this thing like God, and we find our meaning, our identity, our security in pursuing this thing. In Romans 1, Paul calls that idolatry, the those are idols in our life. It goes from rebellion to idolatry. We put something ahead of God. Number three is corruption. In other words, what do you put ahead of God? You become like that which you pursue. It's the downward spiral of you become like what you worship and you're not what you were designed to be. 
We trade our lives and a world made in God's image to live in a world made in the image of something much smaller. And so our humanity shrinks. We become less human. And then number four, it leads to bondage. Bondage, we find ourselves controlled by that, which there for a moment we thought was so freeing. And then number five, depravity and despair. We find ourselves controlled by a a system. We resign ourselves to despair, believing the lie that our dungeon is actually paradise on the one hand, or we believe that there's no way out on the other. We can do nothing about it. Those are the two tracks this can take. That on the one hand, you just call evil good and say, this is awesome. We're just going to live this way. It's it's this where people say, you know, I I can't wait to go to hell and party. It's going to be great. Uh, which clearly you don't know anything about hell. That's not where the partying is. Or we give up and we settle because we feel totally hopeless to solve the problem. And so we just settle. We, We can't do anything about it. We can't live the new life that God has for us. We just live in despair and depravity, hopeless, that we can't change, both of which are lies. And we know that's a lie because Paul will tell us right here, we have Christ in us. And Christ in us gives us the power to live this new life, even though we're in this world, where as our spirits are redeemed, he began to change us from the inside out and transform us. And we know this from this text. Yeah, there's some things we need to put off and put to death in our lives, these sins of desire and and these sins of anger. But he goes on to say this. There's more good news. There's more story to come. It's here in Colossians 3.10 that says, you are being renewed in the image of your creator. The good news is right now, right here, while you're in the tension between what is and what will be, you are being renewed in the image of the creator. How? Because Jesus, who is the perfect image of God, he lives in you. He empowers you. He is with you. He is changing you by his transforming grace because he's already forgiven you by his forgiving grace. And you have the power of Jesus in your life who's renewing you into the image of the creator as God originally intended, as God originally designed you to be. And so when we follow Jesus, we're stepping into clothes we were designed to wear. Put off the ones you're not supposed to be wearing and put on the ones that you were designed to wear. God's original intentions are about to be renewed. In Jesus, you have a template of what God used to create humanity. You can see who you are designed to become and you're becoming more like him. This is the good news of the gospel of Colossians chapter three. Yeah, we're living in two worlds that are parallel right now. Yeah, we are in an intersecting, overlapping, you know, new world and old world together, the above and below, where we're living in the tension between the two and we feel it from every side. But he's saying God has given you everything you need to put off the old, to put on the new, to be renewed in the image of the creator, to walk in the steps with Jesus so you can look like him and follow him and be made new in him. You got to believe this and not give in to the despair and the hopelessness that so many people have bought into because they've been in this downward spiral of sin and they're not trusting God in what he says about them. He wants to make you new and clean and whole and forgiven. He's given you power to actually live Live according to who he's calling you to be. And you can do that starting right here, right now, today, in the power of Jesus. You don't have to put it off. You don't have to question or doubt it. You can do it in the strength that he gives. And what I want to do for a moment today is I want to give us some time just to reflect on this, to pray about this. God, what are you, what are you wanting me to do with this?
God, what are you wanting me to put off? There's some questions here I think are going to be good for us to wrestle with. So here's what I want to do. I just want to ask everybody, just wherever you are, as you're sitting here, as you're watching online, I just want you just to close your eyes for a moment and spend some time reflecting with the Father. We're just going to dim the lights in the room so we can have some time of meditation with the Lord. And I just want to ask a series of questions. I want you to just invite the Holy Spirit to reveal to you right now, to reveal to you right now what He wants to do within you. And I want you to reflect on these things, starting with this one. What would it look like if you refused to tolerate disobedience to Jesus in your own life? What would it look like if you refused to tolerate disobedience to Jesus in your own life? Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that to you. Reflect on this question. What would it look like if we lived every day as a preview of our ultimate future heaven on earth? What would it look like if you lived every day as a preview of your ultimate future heaven on earth? Let the Holy Spirit reveal this to you. Here's another way to think of it. What would it look like if you were committed to becoming the people that you will be for all eternity? What would it look like if we were committed to becoming the people we will be for all eternity? Heavenly Father, there are things that distract us. There are sins that hinder us. There's things that are getting in the way of us being who you've called us to be. Things we continue to be reluctant to put off. And God, we're praying the Lord Jesus, you reveal these things to us and give us the courage to trust you. Inviting you to change us and renew us. Lord, there are incredible opportunities every single day that we have to live for that which is above. To let it guide our thoughts, to let it guide our actions, to let it guide our attitude. And Lord, 
I really do believe that if we would live like every day is a preview of our ultimate future of heaven on earth, Lord, I, I believe that we would abide in you. We would look to you. We would lean into you. We would pray to you. We would spend time with you. I want to pray that, God, you would do that in us. Lord, I want to pray that we'd be committed to becoming the people that you've called us to be, knowing that the power of Jesus does this good work in us. But Lord, we are in a process of being renewed in the image of our creator. God, as you intended, I just want to pray that we would not hinder that work. We would not grieve the Holy Spirit. We would not get in the way because we refuse to put off and put on that new self. So I pray that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes to this and work in us, that we would trust Jesus with everything in our lives. That we would continue to live for the new, even as we continue to live in an old, dark, broken world. We pray for your presence and strength to lead us and to guide us. We pray you would transform us. And then, Lord, right now, here's the other thing we want to ask. Would you reveal to us right now someone that we can share this with? For each and every person listening right now, I want to pray that you would reveal to them who's someone that they can share Colossians 3 with. That we're to set our hearts and minds on things above because we we live in a below kind of world. I want to pray that you could reveal to us who we could share with, who we could talk to, family, friend, coworker, classmate. Someone we encounter that may be far from God, may need some encouragement to pursue him. I just want to pray that we would share it with someone this week and not let this just sit idly as an interesting lesson learned, but we don't apply it. So I just pray that you'd help us to be obedient to you, not only following this, but sharing it with others. And Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to ask right now you would just stand to your feet because we're entering into a time of response. I'm going to be stepping out to decision point here. And if you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, maybe you're interested in being baptized into Christ or placing membership in this church, or you just need to talk or pray through something, I would love to do that right now. If you're watching online, you can go to northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision to do that, to begin that conversation. But I also want you to know that right now around our room, our prayer team is going to step to the sides in the front of the room and they're here to pray with you and for you. That's why they're here. They've already been doing it. They want to, they want to pray with you now. And so you can just go to them and, and just share something you would like their prayer for. Share a burden, share a concern, share something you just want to invite them to pray on your behalf and ask the Holy Spirit to move powerfully in that way. So I want to invite you to go to our prayer team right now as we sing this song and as we reflect on what this looks like. Where we praise him with everything we have. And may his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.